0: that there is quarreling among you, my brothers. There's that word brothers again, brothers and sisters. Okay. By Chloe's people that there is quarreling, squabbling among you. Okay. Now you're thinking, well, how can we really know anything? Because all it says is that Chloe's people reported it to Paul. Well, I think there actually is quite a bit we can learn from this. So First of all, some of the surrounding verses for context show what the problem could be, okay? There was, um, if you read the surrounding verses, they're, they're talking about the, from the beginning, um, who, who is, who's kind of, who are we following here? Is it, is it this apostle or this apostle? And, and there was some human conflict going on. We can know that because of the context. Now, For Chloe, she was likely a Christian woman living in Corinth, okay? Corinthians, the church of Corinth. And she was known on a first name basis again by Paul, okay? Either she or her people, her household, it says Chloe's people, so it could have been her or her household, were part of the solution to the problem that they were reporting. Now, they were not reporting this as a gossip, they were not reporting this to be dramatic they were not tattertailing. okay there's an important thing to grasp here but as an attempt to get paul's assistance in resolving a problem within the church and why is why is that important because the preeminence of christ the unity of the church is important so if you look some were saying some are with paul some are with apollos you recognize these verses it's in the context some with Cephas, all these different people but that Paul is reminding them in this book, no, it's Christ. It's Christ, the preeminence of Christ in the church. So f- some things we can learn from Chloe. Again, she, this is descriptive, not prescriptive, so we can't just be taking applications out of the blue. But they follow principles that we see elsewhere in the Bible. And she exemplifies what ultimately Christ exemplifies. She was a peacemaker. So here's what some of the things we notice, Okay. She was perceptive enough to notice and share the danger of division. She took division seriously. She took the conflict seriously and reported to Paul in hopes of gaining unity in Christ. So that, was, that takes perception. She, she even knows that there was different leaders, but she was humble enough to reach out to Paul and to um, embrace the order of the authority of the church and to say, listen, there's division going on, there's quarreling, and we need to address this. She pursued peace. She wasn't only perceptive of a problem, she pursued peace. She pursued peace, which meant that she had to report the division. She was asking for Paul's guidance. When the peace is disturbed, it is incumbent upon us to get out of our comfort zone, Chloe maybe thought, oh, I don't, don't know if I should say anything. I don't know, like, you know. But she did. She confronted the division in hopes of harmony in Christ. Peace just doesn't happen, right? It says, blessed are the peacemakers. And I think that's just a little thing. we can. It's just a short little point on Chloe, but I didn't want to skip her name because she's a woman in the, the epistles, in the New Testament, and we can see her example. Um, now, notice how... Paul deals with the conflict. He brings their eyes to Christ. He brings them to where their unity is found in the Lord. And this just is a reminder, and I think it's important, especially for us women to remember, because we it's easy to get caught up in squabbles here and squabbles there, but Chloe would remind us that when division is present and there is people dividing in the church in an ungodly way, that it's incumbent upon us to pursue peace and to be peacemakers and to seek out, like she did, she sought out Paul and reported to him, and that was able to be, um, that was able to be resolved. And so that's just a kind of small little section of, of Corinthians, but definitely worth noting. And, and a, a few applications would be you know, like Chloe, who's like the Lord in that she pursued peace, do we gossip carelessly or bring up things that don't matter? Or, or do we be careful in how we, again, let's read that verse, that she, um, verse 11, that she, where does it say, reported. That there is quarreling. She reported. Reported is not gossiped, right? Reported is not this kind of behind the scenes, you know, starting division. She was reporting division in hopes of bringing about harmony in Christ. And, and, and she was a proactive peacemaker. So I think that's a, a really, really um, important story just to highlight as we move through the New Testament and, um, and, and follow her example as she followed Christ ultimately brought us peace right who went the greatest length to bring us peace and to break down the what wall of division the wall of hostility between us um, as christ did so the next people okay there's a little more on these people there's two verses okay flip over to philippians flip to philippians there you go flip to flip um, flip to philippians ver- chapter four so the last chapter And remember, these were letters. There were not chapters and verses back then. It was just a full-on letter, right? But I'm just saying this to help us find our spot. But Philippians 4, verses 2 to 3, okay? Let's read this. Okay. I entreat Yudia and I entreat Syntyche to agree in the Lord. Yes, I ask you also, true companion, help these women. What women? Yudia and Syntyche. Help these women who have labored by, side by side with me in the gospel together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. Okay, these two verses, there, you'll be surprised how much we can, we, can, we can learn from these two things. Now, notice um, who and what Paul is dealing with, okay? These women who have labored. Okay, labored is the Greek word for contended, which is a military word, which means to fight, to fight alongside, which implies that, okay, according to a commentary, I'm quoting this, it says that in the midst of difficult and even dangerous opposition, these women had stood firmly and bravely for the cause of the gospel. They were laboring, contending, fighting alongside Paul for the gospel, okay? He acknowledges that, read it. Verse two to three, verse three, who have labored, contended fight fought side by side with me in the gospel together okay that's the first thing to notice okay these two women had worked directly with Paul to get the gospel through the city of Philippi they were co-workers workers alongside him co-workers I want you to think about that word whose version says co-workers okay a few people what are some other words that you have fellow workers okay Anything else that what are other another version say? Comrade, okay, there you go. So s- some of these words, that is not a passive partner. That's not someone who just kind of okay, well Paul's really, you know, serving, I'm just going to That that's a that's a, a the men and women that he mentions here, Clement and the rest of my fellow workers and Judea and Syntyche, they were all working alongside him. Remember how the church started here. It started with Lydia Lydia's little prayer meeting that then Paul had, and and you see in Acts, and when you read that, it it all started there, and then now you have the church and the men and women who are serving the Lord together, okay? This um, is kind of like an extension of Paul's acknowledgement, his thank you card in Romans 16, right? Now, these two women started out well. They were fighting, contending for the gospel. That's a good fight. That's fight the fight of what? Faith, right? We're supposed to be in that fight, fighting for truth, fighting for love in Christ, those things. But they started out fighting well, and then they started fighting not so well. They started to be at odds. How do we know this? We'll read the verse. I entreat Yudha and Sintike to agree in the Lord. What does that mean? That they weren't agreeing in the Lord. They had started fighting about other things, they had started to have a disagreement beyond the ministry. So bickering, perhaps, that's a word we could use, at each other, maybe in a sour disagreement. Maybe they had fallen out with each other as friends. Maybe they had really opposing opinions. They must have been strong women, right, in the Lord, because if they're fighting for the gospel, maybe they clashed, right? Sometimes that can happen with people in ministry. Maybe they were becoming competitive in spirit. We don't know. That's speculation, but it may have been Um, Just an accidental friction between two energetic women, one commentator notes. But these were women at war at one point. Good war, (laughs) the war of fighting for the Lord. But then it turned into a uh, a bickering battle, okay? So Paul calls them out. How embarrassing, right? This is a public disagreement, by the way, because he calls them out publicly, right? You you don't do that unless unless it's become public. So he calls them out, which is... Whew, right? You would probably be shrinking back in your seat being called out like that, but that's how important unity is. So, harmony is to happen. Paul is no quite, if it's under buts. He's saying, I entreat, <laughs> you probably went like this with his foot, right? I entreat you to agree in the Lord. Now, one pastor, Philip de Corsi, who happens to be my dad too, points out a sermon on this passage that he says this, we're not sure what the issue is, but most likely it's practical and personal, not theological, because Paul would pinpoint that. Paul is constantly pinpointing false doctrine, things like that, right, that, that is worth um, pinpointing. But in this case, he's not pinpointing anything, so most likely it's a personal, practical issue. So he publicly called them out. What started between two people started to affect others. Think about that. A little disagreement between you and a sister in Christ could turn into something broader and bigger, and, and, and that's what happened here because he had to publicly address it. So division is a public matter, and it's not a, well, it's none of your business, leave me alone, right? How often do we say stuff like that? But when it's the church and it affects other people, God takes that very seriously. He prayed that we would be one in, his, in John 17, right? And so Paul, is, Paul is, 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 um, is taking care of this. So there is a time to, co- to con- um, cover, right? Scripture says cover offense. It is the glory of a man to cover an offense, right? Love covers a multitude of sins. But when it gets to this public, divisive nature, it's worth confronting. You don't cover that. You confront that because that is affecting the 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 unity of the church and that is very serious to the Lord so Paul sees this an issue um, women's evangelical commentary says this their influence could therefore be a help or a hindrance to the gospel do you realize that they were helping at one point they were laboring side by side with him in the gospel and then they started to bicker and battle to, against each other and that can hinder the gospel Because who wants to listen to a gospel that is about the love of God, reconciling sinners to a holy God if the people can't even get along who believe in the love of God, right? So, I mean, that's just so, so, so convicting to me too. And just as with Chloe, Eudio and Syntyche, they're dealing with some sort of personal prideful division, human conflict, and harmony is a practical priority in this letter to the Philippians. So notice how Paul addresses it. I had a professor when I was going to school to be a teacher who, would, who had this fun little saying. She says, before you grow someone, glow them. Glow, then grow. In other words, give them something that they're doing well and then help them where they're struggling glow and grow. Well, Paul does that too. And does not Christ do that in the letters to, in Revelation? He says, this I have for you. You're doing this and you're doing this. This I have against you. You're doing this and you're not doing this. So just like Christ, just like Paul, um, here we're seeing them first glowed and then growed, okay, to use those words. So First, he's saying, okay, you've labored side by side. He's, he's, he's complimenting them. Ladies, come on. You were working together with, with me, and now get it together. What's going on, right? Um, and this word, beseech, whose, whose Bible says, okay, let's see with the different words. Who says entreat? I entreat. Okay, who says beseech? Okay, what are some other words you have? Implore, okay? That's a very, very strong verb, and what is he, he, what is he commanding them, to, to uh, beseeching them, imploring them to do? To have a common mind in, let's see, to agree, how? They can't agree. They have a different opinion or whatever it is, but in the Lord. He begs them. That is a strong verb. He is imploring them and begging them. He's not just suggesting or, come on, ladies, he is he, because the quarrel is public, he is publicly imploring them. So to think the same thing, what does that mean? What does that mean? How do we deal with issues in the church? How, how were Eudia and Sintike supposed to, Yudia and Sinticae supposed to deal with this? Well, to think the same thing. How do you do that? Well, here's the words. Those words are auto, I'm probably butchering again the Greek, but I'll at least give it to you, auto-phronin. And these words are used in two other places in Scripture. You can jot this down if you want. Romans 15, 5 to 7, which is just a few books before. I'm going to read those. And 2 Corinthians 13, 11. So listen to Romans 15, 5 to 7. Here's where we find the same phrase, to agree in the Lord, to be of the same mind. May the God we—this should ring a bell. We read this earlier. May the God who gives endurance and encouragement give you the same attitude— of mind toward each other that Christ Jesus had so that with one mind and one voice you may glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ accept one another then as just as Christ has accepted you to bring glory to God okay there's that phrase one mind the same attitude same in 2nd Corinthians 13 finally brothers and sisters rejoice 2nd Corinthians 13:11 says strive for full restoration encourage one another, be of one mind. There's that word again, live in peace, okay? This is all over the place, this, 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 this concept, but that phrase is in those two verses. So Paul is saying, in the Lord. Now, I found this to be the most helpful note in the NIV commentary. Here's what it says. It is unlikely that Paul is praying here that the Roman believers will come to the same opinion on the matters. Of the issue okay because we're not going to agree we're all different we could have different opinions on this and that rather he is praying that they may possess a unity of purpose that transcends these differences okay but even unity is not the ultimate goal unity is simply one stage on the way to the church's final purpose to praise the lord and to love him together so again that in the lord is the key there They are to find their commonality in Christ. They are to set aside their differences. They don't need to agree in their opinion about whatever it is. And think about maybe a situation you have or an issue you have with someone. For the sake of the Lord, you put that fight aside and that disagreement you have. And you choose to be off the same mind in Christ. You find your commonality in Christ. Okay? Not in categories, in Christ. So if you want to shrink your quarrels, get a big view of God. You want to stop fighting with each other, fight together for the Lord, right? Get involved in the right kind of fight. It's not just about putting off that kind of fighting. It's putting on, right? The, contending for the gospel together and, and finding that unity, just like we saw in Romans 16. One of the ladies was friends, beloved with Paul because they worked together in the gospel. So let that unity be there. So how is this possible? Well, before we move on to our next lady, I want to say this. This is not possible without Christ. He is the ultimate peacemaker, yet not I, but through Christ in me. Did we not just sing that a whole bunch of times? And he, what did he do? He gave up his rights. He gave up his position and his preferences and his preeminence and prominence in heaven to serve. He gave that up. What does it say in Philippians 2? Everyone's in Philippians 4, right? So just flip to Philippians 2. Philippians 2, verse, let's see here, 5. Have this same mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant. There's that word servant again, like the diakonos, right, the, the doulos, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form he humbled himself and it continues but how can we be of one mind Christ who 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 what does it say we're to be of his mind and what did he do he set aside his preferences and to, out of service for the other he considered others and so again that is only possible through the pattern of Christ and only possible through our position in Christ. Our position in Christ is that we are reconciled. That's our position. And if there is a vertical reconciliation, there is therefore a horizontal reconciliation. That's a reality. We just need to choose to step into it, right? It's already been accomplished. Jesus has already, cut, what does it say, broke down that wall of hostility. Then why are we still being hostile towards each other, right? So Paul here, just that little verse, you know. If you find yourself having an issue with someone, you go to this verse and you say, "I'm going to agree in the Lord." I might not agree on the issue, and that's okay. We can have a diverse opinions on different things, but we're going to agree in the Lord. Choose His mission over. Cho- choose to fight for his mission which is to share the gospel and seek first his kingdom and to love him and others and put the others aside the other things aside it has been well said that there is one hill to die on calvary right that that is where we ultimately must fight for the purity of the gospel not over secondary issues that with each other or disagreements i don't like how she does this or how she did you see how she right? There's so much discretion that needs to be involved, as we've seen with Chloe and how to report it, and then there's an agreement that must happen. So just keep that in mind. Just so, so powerful to to think through all those implications, but you can do that in groups in a little bit here. So that being said, um, because we have looked at those three ladies, now we're going to hop back over to Romans 16, and we're going to look at Priscilla now Priscilla is also known as what does anyone know? Prisca, okay so it's the same name it's just different ways to say the same name. It's like a diminutive diminu- form of it. Now, we looked at plenty of women who there was not a lot of info on. We maybe one verse two verses. We did a lot with a little though, right? So we looked at these women we didn't have too much information on some of them and you know, Hebrews says God is not unjust to forget your work, and to overlook your work, and the love that you have shown for his name in the serving of the saints as you still do. So he sees it. But with Priscilla, we actually do have some more. We have more information than we have on any of the other women we've looked at today. We actually have four places in scripture that we find this lady. So we're going to see where she is in scripture and learn from her. So, She has the most information. Let's first look at Romans um, 16, three to four. So here's what this says. Greet Prisca and Aquila, my fellow workers in Christ Jesus, who risked their necks for my life, to whom not only I give thanks, but all the churches of the Gentiles give thanks as well. Okay, so we see a little bit about her there. Okay, let's learn more about her. Let's go to Acts, so flip back one more book, Acts 18. Okay, we're just going to do a quick overview before we get into specifics. Go to Acts 18, verses 2 to 3 first, okay? So this is where we meet her here. It says, And he found a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontus, recently come, home, come from Italy with his wife Priscilla, because Claudius had commanded all the Jews to leave Rome, and he went to see them. And because he was off the same trade, he stayed with them. Who's them? Priscilla and Aquila. And he stayed with them and worked, for they were tent makers by trade. Okay, if you go down a few verses in verses 18 to 19, what else do we learn about this lady? After this, Paul stayed many days longer and then took leave of the brothers and set sail for Syria, and with him Priscilla and Aquila. At Sentecray, he had cut his hair, for he was under a vow. But they came to Ephesus, and he left them there. Who did he leave? Priscilla and Aquila. Where? In Ephesus. And he left them there, but he himself went into the synagogue and reasoned with the Jews. Okay, so we have a little more information about them. There's still more in this chapter. Go down to verses 24 to 28. Now a Jew named Apollos, a native of Alexandria, came to Ephesus. He was an eloquent man, competent in the scriptures. He had been instructed in the way of the Lord and being fervent in spirit, he spoke and taught accurately the things concerning Jesus, though he only knew the baptism of John. He began to speak boldly in the synagogue, but when Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they took him aside and explained to him the way of God more accurately. And when he wished to go across, and then we could keep going, okay? But, but we see here that they have an interaction with Apollos. Okay, so there's a few more verses. Let's find a few more. Go to 1 Corinthians 16. You're getting a workout here, going all over your Bible. First Corinthians 16, which is the next book, and the next next book. We're kind of all in the same section here. 16:19. First Corinthians 16:19. Okay, here's what it says here: "The churches of Asia send you greetings. Aquila and Prisca, together with the church in their house, send you hearty greetings in the Lord." okay so now we've also found out some more about her and lastly second timothy this is the last place you'll have to flip for now second timothy 419 i want you to see that she is in quite a few scriptures greet prisca so if you've noticed we've either been priscilla or prisca same person greet prisca and aquila and the household off i'm not even gonna try to say that one <laughs> okay so We have her in various places in the New Testament. So what can we learn from her here? Well, first of all, you might be interested to know that in a few of those chapters that we read, her name was actually mentioned first in the duo. uh, Prisca and Aquila, Priscilla and Aquila. Paul kind of follows this pattern of ladies first, right? Lydia was the first female convert in Philippi. And here Priscilla is mentioned before her husband a few times. And then Phoebe, we have at the top of the list in Romans 16, so kind of you can think of ladies first, right? So she is a prominent woman in the church, and um, we find her in Acts, Romans, Corinthians, Timothy, like we just saw. Now, we, um, we're going to look at three things about her. First of all, her unity, her usefulness, and her understanding, okay? So this lady, From all these chapters hopefully you're already thinking oh i already can think of some of these these things we can learn from her so before we start think this was a real lady she really lived and this is a true story so number one unity okay what do we notice about her unity based on those scriptures well her name is always mentioned with what her husband aquila so the first thing we notice about her unity is she's always mentioned alongside her husband and we already talked about how Phoebe was most likely single, and a lot of those other women were single. This woman was married, so we see God has a place for married people, single people, young, old, right? Um, but here we have her married. She's always mentioned in tandem with Aquila. Now, um, their names are synonymous. You can't say Priscilla without Aquila, or vice versa, and they rhyme, which is kind of fun. But. Half the time, her name is first, and we don't know why. Maybe she was more distinguished. Maybe she was the better communicator. People surmise. Maybe she was born of more noble birth. We don't know. But the thing to know is that they were united in marriage. They worked together in marriage. Marriage is one of the closest relationships you can have on earth, right? And yet that was where that, that was a united relationship. It was a sanctified marriage. Um, perhaps she had even learned from Paul who lived with her for a while, and Aquila, the purpose of marriage, which is to be a reflection of Christ in the church, and they were perfectly unified, living out this figurative reality, right, of Christ in the church. And so that's just one little thing to know. She was unified with her husband, convicting, right? Because what if we're getting along with everyone at church, but at home, right, or whoever you're living with, your closest relationship, you're not being harmonious or loving or kind—that's that's convicting. She was she was the real deal at home with Aquila and at church and and uh, in the in the gospel in the epistles. Number two, where where else do we notice about her unity? She's with her husband, also with Paul. Now, this was very 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 interesting to me. I didn't realize this, but in um, in in uh, the various books of the New Testament, you see that. Paul had had some opposition with others. There was a time he opposed Peter. There was a time he parted with Barnabas. There was a time he refused Mark. There was a time he reprimanded Utica and Syntyche, who we just talked about. Then he was deserted by Demas. Okay, there was, there was some issues with other people. But with Priscilla and Aquila there was a steadfast unity with Paul. And I think that's worth noting. He never has one negative thing to say about them. That doesn't mean they weren't sinners, but it shows that they strove for unity together with Paul. So they're, the, they're one of the few couples, one of the few people in the New Testament that there was no division, no, no, um, that, that, is, that is written down for us to, to see. It was a reciprocal relationship, a, a relationship of unity. So it was steadfast and, um, and, and through a lot. Another thing to notice is that it was with affection. Did you notice in 1 Corinthians 16, 19, the affection that was in that greeting? That that command was not just done as a, as, as a greeting, but with a brotherly affection and brotherly love and a longing and with the affection of Christ Jesus, as Philippians says. So... So there's beautiful things to notice about, about their unity. And I want us just to pause there. Consider her marriage, her united marriage, and then her unity with Paul and, and her husband and Paul. And just, and just ask yourself, it, could that be said of me? Is there, is there a unity at home as well as at church? Is it, am I consistent in that way? Um, not just am I, am I united in the good times, but in the bad times, Paul went through all kinds of stuff, persecution, opposition, all these things, and yet they remained steadfast friends. Who does this remind you of? Claudia. Claudia, like Christ, they they don't desert their friend in a time of need. They do not, and like Christ, he does not desert or forsake us. He loved us to the end. It says, there's a beautiful verse about the disciples, that he loved them to the end. And so he is not a fair-weather friend. He sticks closer than a brother, and so did Priscilla and Aquila. They did that with Paul. So this is a united couple, and, it's, and their, their unity was strong and so strong that what did we learn? They also risked their necks for Paul. Did you remember that phrase? It says, they risked their necks for Paul. That is really worth noting, and uh, we don't know exactly what that is about. Some people, some commentators say it could have been about the riot at Ephesus. There was a big riot. We don't know so it's speculation but we know that they risked their necks for paul that means they were willing to, to to suffer and to to um like junia right even be willing to be imprisoned with with him they were willing to suffer for the sake of their fellow um christian for their fellow brother and sister as we saw with phoebe the importance of family so that's that's the first thing to notice okay her unity be challenged there ladies and i wanted to connect the first part that we did about the issues with this, because they go together. The reason that I, I put those together was because we saw the importance of Paul calling those women to unity, and Priscilla models it. Priscilla models what Paul called the other women to. Priscilla models that well in her marriage and in her ministry. So really, really beautiful. Really challenging, really challenging. Okay, number two, her usefulness, okay? Now, how do we know she was useful? Well, you'll notice before the word useful, I put universal, and here's why. Did anyone pick up anything interesting by observing all those texts that we read? It said this. She lived in Italy for a while until Claudius expelled the Jews from Rome. Then she moved to Corinth, then to Ephesus, then to Rome, then to Ephesus. This lady was a mover and a shaker, right? She was always on the go. She was moving from city to city with her husband, Aquila. And with and ministering alongside Paul too so this just reminds us the flexibility this is just again descriptive but there are prescriptive verses that that show us that we are to be flexible followers of Christ right even Christ as he traveled through his ministry he ministered wherever he was wherever here's a little note you can write wherever you find them geographically you find them serving that's why their usefulness is universal that I noticed as I was reading these scriptures, okay? They even under persecution, they, they, they didn't let location or move or difficulty deter them from service. Their circumstances did not change their commitment. How easy it is us is it for us to move and be like, well, you know, I'm new. I, I'm new here and got to settle it wherever she went, she was serving, right? And that is just, that is just really interesting. There is actually a 10-year gap between some of these references about them. This was a long, for the long haul. This was not like little sprinkles of service here and there. This was over a course of time. It was steadfast. And so she was useful universally over time. And I just want to stop there and, and say, are we useful to the Lord wherever we are? I've talked to some of you. Some of you have just recently moved here. Some of you are on the move. Some of you, you know, we all have different stories. But, but let, it, let let wherever we are find us serving. Um, like Priscilla, like Christ, who moved from heaven to earth and was serving in the midst of his discomfort and, and trials. In your book that you're going to read, 12 Faithful Women, I'm already telling you you've got to read it, There's a lady in there called Lilius Trotter, and um, my daughter is Lily, so I particularly love Lilius's name. And Lilius um, moved to Algeria to work with women and, and, and people in Algeria and share the gospel. She actually started a lot of Arab mission work out there. But it's interesting to note that before she went there, spoiler alert, she served where she was. She served in London. She served the prostitutes in the streets of London. Okay, you flip to another chapter. You're going to meet Corrie Ten Boom. She. What do we all know her for? Ministering in the Holocaust camps, right? To the Jew. To well, yes, but ministering to the um, the Jews in the Holocaust camp and and alongside her sister Betsy. Now here's the thing. That's what we know her for. But do you know before that? When she was growing up, her family was a foster family. They took in foster children from their city into their home. I think it says in the book she had like 11 foster children through their home. So it shows that before they do the work we know them for, mission work in Algeria and ministry in the holocaust camp, right? In in such adverse circumstances, they're serving the Lord where they were in London or in, um, or in their home with foster care. Another woman, Amy Carmichael, what do we all know her for? She went to India, right? And she worked with prostitute children that she was able to take out of the temple and and kind of adopt them she wasn't married she was a spiritual mother to many and you know what about her before she did that she was serving the lord in ireland she was serving in northern ireland actually on the streets with very poor women in ireland called the shawleys so i'm just making a point here that those three women in our book they're all mentioned amy carmichael is not a chapter but she's mentioned and then Priscilla, they're universally useful, and that is just a, a, a challenge to us. That are we, serve, well, I'll serve the Lord when I'm you know, older and retired, or I'll serve the Lord after I have kids, or I'll serve the Lord once I get married, or I'll, wait, we think of another circumstance, or we think of another place. Well, if I was just in a better church, or if I was just in a better city, or if I was just in, wherever we are to be useful. So just be, just be challenged by Priscilla's example there. Okay. Another thing, not only is her usefulness universal, her usefulness is useful in different ways. Three ways I noted was her career, her care for Paul, and her church hosting. Let's just zoom through these real quick. First of all, her, her career. I love that we learn she's a tent maker. Why do I love that? Because God is showing us that any kind of labor can be done for the Lord, right? She was a tent maker, so was Paul. The apostle Paul was a tent maker. The savior Jesus Christ was a, you know, had a father who was a carpenter. God, Jesus sanctifies ordinary labor and menial work. Their career was tent making, which, um, which was a very manual job. And they were, they were, that was what they did by trade. And their toil was, was an honorable toil. It's acknowledged here. She was useful even at work. Well, you know, I'm only, I only serve in the church, but at work, I'm lazy. I don't, you know, if you think, it, some people think like this. In my job, I just do the bare minimum. I don't like my job. It's a secular job, right? We think like that, and yet anything can be done for the glory of God. And so she was, she was serving the Lord as a tent maker alongside Paul, you know, just didn't do all things to the glory of God. She was not idle. She was industrious. She was not a busybody. She was busy with her hands. And that's big because idleness is, is, never, is never a good thing in Scripture. But being industrious is commended from Proverbs 31 all the way to here. And, um, and she was, had meaningful work. Ruth Graham Bell had something above her kitchen sink that said this, divine service is done here three times daily. And that's so true because even tent making and our jobs all things can be done for the glory of god as work all work can be worship for the lord right because he gives us the strength to do it and ultimately it's us having dominion over the earth which is we were created to work right in the image of god to have dominion and to exercise organization and and create beauty in the earth like our creator so that's number one her career number two her care for paul Paul comes to them in Acts 18, and and a, a commentary helped me realize that this was a really difficult time in his ministry. There was riots and stoning and jail time and persecution and rejection. Whoever, if anyone told you Christianity is like a healthy, wealthy lifestyle, it, there is suffering, right? There, there. It's not that there's not blessing. There's not doom and gloom. Well, there's, but there is, there is hardships in ministry. And Paul was experiencing those. And he was weary. And yet who comes alongside him? This godly couple. They receive him and encourage him. Paul lived with them for 18 months. That's a year and a half. That's a pretty long time. And that's encouraging to me because I had a little girl in foster care for 18 months. And and, and it reminds me that even a temporary interaction or a temporary hospitality can make a huge difference, right? And, and that 18 months matters. But oh, that's a side point. Paul lived with them for 18 months as part of his second missionary journey. And, and we're not sure if she was saved yet, although it's assumed that they were uh, because her conversion is not detailed. But she is, she is taking in a stranger of sorts for even a temporary amount of time because she knew the important role she could play in helping him get back on his feet at this hard time with her husband. Um, she was blessed and he was blessed, right? Again, that you, will wa- you water and you will be watered. That, that, again, with Phoebe that we saw earlier. So how are we using our homes to care for people in need? Do you know that what hospitality means, literally? Love of strangers. That's literally what the word means in the New Testament. Translated, love of strangers. And hospitality is a command. Oh, prove it. Okay, I will. Romans 12 says this. Share it with the Lord's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. I mean, how clear can you get, right? In Romans, um, it's, it says that in chapter 12. Okay, back to that verse in 1 Timothy 5.10. What were some good deeds? Bringing up children. Showing hospitality. Washing the feet of the Lord's people. Helping those in trouble. So, so Priscilla, she has... We don't know if she has any physical children, but we know she showed hospitality, she washed the feet of the Lord's people, meaning to serve the church, and she helped those in trouble. Paul was in trouble. So you see this lady fulfilling those commands, okay? And, 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 and Jesus is clear about who we are to invite into our home. Listen to this. When you give a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed. Although they cannot repay you, you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. So God is very corrective in what he expects us to do. Um, it's straightforward. He says, I was hungry and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger and you did not invite me in. I needed clothes and you did not clothe me. I was sick and in prison and you did not look after me. They will answer and say, but Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or needing clothes or sick or in prison and did not help you? And he will reply, truly I say to you, truly I tell you, Whatever you did not do for the one of the least of these, you did not do for me. Matthew 25, 42 and 40 through 45. So we see just hospitality is not just commended. It is commanded over and over from the Gospels all the way through to the epistles. So what can motivate this kind of hospitality? Taking in a stranger, loving them, accepting them, just like we looked at with Phoebe, welcoming them just as the Lord has welcomed you? Well, there, that's how you do it just as the Lord has shown us such great hospitality. Do you remember that those two words that we looked at earlier, indicative imperative? By the way, those words I took from Elise Fitzpatrick's book called Because He Loves Me, and she helped me make that connection between imperative and indicative. I mean, indicative and imperative, and it applies here too. An indicative as I define it, is what is true. What is true is Christ has accepted you. Christ has taken you in. Christ has taken me in. Christ has accepted us into his family and shown us great love and help. And so because that is true, what do we do? We do the same. We show hospitality. We open our doors. Okay, we could say more, but we won't. Number three, her, the third C underneath her usefulness, her church hosting, her career her care for Paul, and her church hosting. Well, how do we know that? Well, didn't we read 1 Corinthians 16, 19? It says the church that met in their home. Man, so this lady did this too. She used her house for ministry. Just like who? Athia, nympha. Remember some of the women from our first session? You guys have been going all over the place in the Bible today, right? So notice the church refers to the people. I love this. It's not about the building. The, tr- the location is not the church. It does not matter. The location does not matter. And, and it, it's even, a lot of these churches were in idol-worshiping towns with temples to Venus and all these wicked places, and yet the church was made up of men and women who used houses. There was no public facilities. So church hosting. Here's some verses that can, can help us with this. Galatians 6 10 says this. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, especially to those who are off the household of faith. The household of faith, the family of faith. Let us do good to everyone, but especially to them. Let us open our doors, host a small group. Maybe today we could host small groups, or you know, now we have church buildings, but but there is that beautiful ministry that they can do. Her house must have been large enough to host, which means they probably had some wealth, and where did they get that wealth? From working hard as tent makers, right? And so, so again, they, used their, they were rich, but rich in good works, as 1 Timothy 6 says. Listen to this verse, 1 Timothy six seventeen to 19. Command those who are rich in this present world. That would be all of us, because we are living in the United States, and no matter what, we are rich in comparison, right? those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant nor to put their hope in their wealth which is so uncertain but to put their hope in god who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment god is good he wants us to enjoy things but command them to do good and to be rich in good works that's where i got that saying if you are rich be rich in good works it comes straight from first corinthians 6:17 to 19 i mean sorry first timothy excuse me first timothy 6:17 to 19 so They were laying up treasures for themselves in heaven because they were using their wealth on earth for others. Have you heard that Spanish phrase? Veronica definitely knows it, and she's good at this. Mi casa es su casa. Okay? That is truly, I think that's a Christian, that is definitely a Christian sentiment right there. My house is your house. Priscilla's house was a house for the church. And what does that look like for you? Maybe inviting a new family from church over for dinner having a Bible study in your living room, hosting a book club in your your room, um, welcoming missionaries to stay in your home for a time, feeding people. That's a huge ministry, right? Hosting church gatherings. I mean, there's just so many ways to show hospitality, that command that is shown in the character of Priscilla. So that's really huge. Now, as we wrap up, okay, we follow Priscilla as she follows who? Christ. And again, we see Christ doing that the most. Number three, and this is our final point. You guys, are doing awesome. We'll close here. Her understanding. She had understanding. That is our third thing we can learn about Priscilla. Where do I get this? Okay, we get this in Acts. So if you want to go to Acts, it might be worth it because we'll be looking at these verses. We read it already, but Acts 18, okay? Acts 18 is the place where we find out the most verses from Priscilla. So why did she have understanding? Well, here's the first thing to notice. She was married to a Jew. This couple were drenched in Old Testament scriptures. She knew the Old Testament, which enriched her understanding of Christ because Christ is what? The fulfillment of the Old Testament. How else might she have had understanding? Well, this is just a speculation, but I speculate that she would have learned from living with Paul for those 18 months, right? Right? They were housemates, Priscilla and Aquila, housing him in their home. This couple was taught and discipled by Paul himself. Who knows, maybe they were doing their tent making, however you do that. Am I doing it right? (laughs) I don't know. However you make tents, and they were probably talking theology. He was probably saying, hey, I just wrote Romans 12. er, Well, actually, those are more the imperatives. Let's get back to the indicatives. I was just writing Romans 12 three and four about the adoption we have in christ and the justification that comes through faith in jesus christ right who i would have loved to be a fly on the wall in that tent making room right but they both benefited and became lifelong friends and ministry partners just like the other lady in romans 16. ministry builds friendships are you lonely do ministry and make a friend you want to make a good friend do ministry you want to you want to connect with more people get involved be part of the church. All these women I don't see any lonely people in, in these churches because they're all working together, right? For the Lord. So that's that's one thing. And their lives were forever transformed by that temporary season. I'm so encouraged by that, because a lot of our ministry is temporary. And maybe you think, well, I just keep moving and what kind of impact can I have if I keep moving? Well, Priscilla moved and she had she was serving wherever she went universally. Now, Acts eighteen nineteen says that left paul left them there okay so it seems that they were left there and i don't know if you've ever felt left behind like you got left behind on something like oh, they got to go on the missions trip and i'm here or there they moved on to this new ministry or this new place and i'm left behind in arlington still or you know however you think or i've had that thought before because i've moved and had people move and just think that in this context we read the story of Priscilla and Aquila meeting who? Who? Apollos, exactly. So just that's kind of another little side point. The Lord can't even use you wherever you're left behind. Now, not only did she encourage Paul, she edified Apollos. She edified Apollos. She was a mentor alongside her husband. She taught Apollos in the context of their home Who became as well known as peter and paul she and aquila explained things to apollos now what did she explain okay well let's read it says that 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 he was he was teaching right and and they pull him aside and what was he teaching well he wasn't teaching error because if it was error what do you do it's public it's public confrontation right because that affects everyone if it's error from the from public it needs to be publicly addressed But this was, he was preaching, he was preaching accurately. It was just incomplete. It says the baptism of John. What does that mean? Well, what that means is he knew the Old Testament, Apollos did, and the way of the Lord described there, and the way John the Baptist was paving. But that's it. He had an Old Testament background as a Jew, but he did not realize the fullness yet of Jesus had come as the Messiah and the Savior. So Matthew Henry, a common, um, the Puritan, says this, Apollos taught in the gospel of Christ as far as John's ministry would carry him. Right? John, prepare, the way, prepare you the way of the Lord, right? And no further. We cannot but think he had heard of Christ's death and resurrection, but he was not informed or, you know, up to all the knowledge as to the mystery of them. So he, he did not teach error. He, and, and he denied no essential of the faith. He did not deny, you know, the deity of Christ. But he, what he preached was as true as far as it went, the Zondervan commentary says. It was true as far as it went. But he lacked the death and the resurrection of Christ and the Holy Spirit coming at Pentecost, right? The baptism of the Holy Spirit, right? We're post-Pentecost here, and we're not stuck in the baptism of John. I mean, we're in the most privileged part of the story, you guys, you ladies, excuse me, that we, that we can enjoy the baptism of the Holy Spirit, right? So he wasn't aware of the benefits and the effects of Christ's death and resurrection. He, he, he didn't know all about the outpouring of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost until, until what? Priscilla and Aquila looked, um, took him aside and, and, and they spoke with him. Now, look, notice, their, notice their response. I love this. They're so tactful. They heard him preach, and he got all the way up to the edge of the cross and, and stopped there, right, as, as, as a MacArthur commentary says. He gets to the cross, and then he, like, he doesn't know where to go beyond that. And here's what MacArthur says. They went and invited the preacher home for dinner, and they said, Now, Apollos, did you know... Uh, did you enjoy that dinner? Oh, yeah, that was great. Well, Apollos, we've got a few things we'd like to share with you. You know what happened after you finished your sermon? Jesus went to the cross, rose again, said the Spirit has come. The new age has been born on all this, okay? I love that. That's, that's a quote from MacArthur, but I love that. I had to include it because I couldn't word it any better. That, that's pretty much what they're doing. They're having him come home and, with him, and, and they took them onto him, it says. They brought him to teach him lovingly, privately, They did not embarrass him not publicly they were tactful they spoke the truth in love they grew in the great they helped him grow in the grace and knowledge of the lord jesus christ which is a command i think this is one of the most beautiful another epitaph for you here they said they explained to him apollos the way of god more accurately they wanted apollos to better understand so they expounded it more they explained the gospel And that is a question to us. You're like, well, I'm not a pastor. I mean, we're not, I'm not preaching from the pulpit. I don't, how accurate do I need to be? How much do I really need to know the word? Well, we are all, as we saw earlier, included in the church, which means we are all partakers in the grace, and we are all heirs of the promise, and we all have the same Bible. And we are to know the word. Not just know it, but to know it accurately. To know it accurately. Do you know how the New and Old Testament connect, like Priscilla? Do you, do you study the way of God? Do you know that Jesus is the better and the truer? Jesus was the pure Lamb of God from Exodus, but he was the Lamb of God. He was the God of the Jews and the Gentiles. He's the enthroned forever one, greater than David, right? He's the Passover Lamb. He's the faithful priest. He's the Sabbath rest. Oh, the Old Testaments make sense all of a sudden. You mean Jesus was... That was all pointing to Jesus? Exactly, right? And so the Old and the New Testament connect. The New Testament, the, I mean, sorry, the New Covenant has come replacing the Old Covenant of the Mosaic Law, as it has been said. So there is a side note here. And, and I just, as we wrap up here, want to notice she is such a well-rounded lady. You're saying, what do you mean by that? Here's what I mean. Her unity was all around it was at home and at, in marriage and in ministry. It was a well-rounded unity. Her usefulness was well-rounded. It was universal. It was in Ephesus. It was in Rome. It was in, what was the other place I said? Um, there was a, those four places. Yes. It was all those different places. It was a universal usefulness. And now thirdly, her understanding was a well-rounded understanding. It was comprehensive. She understood the way of God accurately how christ more than the baptism of john how christ fulfills and how the holy spirit indwells and she was able to alongside her husband share those things she was a woman of the word and accuracy matters i hope you can sniff out a false gospel from a mile away right anyone that that's preaching a false gospel a less than divine jesus okay that is to be publicly confronted but something like this, can you also notice, not just discern when there's error, but can you discern when there's incompleteness? Oh, that was good, but there's more. You, you gotta preach Jesus, you gotta, you gotta know the Lord, you gotta bring in, bring in Christ to get a full biblical picture here, right? And, and, um, and so Priscilla is an example of that. She has tact, she has accuracy, and the impact of this humble couple can be great okay so just just notice that alexander white says if we cannot be great by god's grace may we be the means of making others great how beautiful is that quiet unobtrusive andrew little knew when he brought his brother peter to christ that he would become the mighty apostle to the jews and as husband and wife and humble tent makers aquila and priscilla greatly enriched the ministries of paul and apollos whom god in turn used to establish churches So there is a beautiful, the Lord can use your work, whether it's from your home, whether it's in private, all these different examples. So what happened as a result? Well, Apollos was more equipped because of this couple. He was more equipped, and he went on to teach more and teach better. Acts 18.28 says that. And he powerfully refuted the Jews, showing by the scriptures that Christ was Jesus. It's like he was, he was filled up and able to teach better because a woman and a man um, took him aside and helped him see the scriptures more. So as a summary, in closing, who is this a reflection of? Again, you're probably sick of me saying this, but it's so important. G, uh, um, Priscilla is a reflection of Christ, and Christ is the one who understood the scriptures the most because what did he say? I'm going to read this verse. He says, I hope I wrote the, the, um, the ah, I thought I wrote the, um, I do have it somewhere. Hold on one second. Okay, I'm going to have to find the reference, but it says, Christ opened up when he was with people and showed, starting with Moses and all the prophets himself do you know what verse i'm talking about it says that christ opened up the old testament and was able to show that he was i was the one moses and the prophets were pointing to christ helped people understand that he was the main message of the scriptures and and that um, that that is that is ultimately where we find our understanding It is a collaborative, coherent, credible, cohesive, Christ-centered, compelling, complete, captivating story from the Old Testament to the New Testament. That is what the Bible is. So as her story is in his story, in closing, I want to just remind you of all the ways we see God through women in Scripture. Not all, actually, because this could be, we'd be here all day, but I'll give you a few. With Eve, we learn of God as creator, right? Christ in Colossians, creator. Nothing was made that, that, um, nothing was made that was made without him and by him. With Sarah, we learn as God is the promise giver and the promise keeper. And who is Christ? Every promise is a yes and amen in Jesus Christ. That is a verse in Corinthians, okay? Like Miriam, we learn of God as the deliverer and the leader from the greatest slavery of all, which is sin, Okay, and Christ is ultimately that, that leader into liberation, right, from our sin. That Christ leads us in triumph, as it says in Corinthians. With Rahab, we learn of God as the fierce and purposeful warrior, right, that Christ fought and destroyed the, the greatest cosmic battle, right, between good and evil. Christ destroyed the power of um, the—and disabled— the dark powers of, of Satan. Okay, with Deborah, we, learned of, we, learned, we can learn that God is a just judge. That, well, who, is Christ? who is God? The just and the justifier. He is just and he justifies. So again, in Christ. With Ruth, we learn of God as the caring father. Okay, you can see God as father in Ruth. And through Christ right? This is, again, understanding, and this is the where we're wrapping up. Through Christ, we can have a father, go to God as our father because of the son. Um, with Hannah, we learn of God as the provider, sympathetic, sympathetic provider and a generous provider, right? As, as Christ is a high priest who can identify with us with our sorrows, like Hannah's sorrow, we can see Christ as that fulfillment. With the virtuous women, that was a hard-working woman if you read Proverbs 31. Well, we see God as the ultimate worker, right? That God is the one who did the work of salvation, and ultimately the Holy Spirit is still working in us and through us. I mean, you could go on and on. You've got Gomer, right, in Hosea, the the unfaithful bride to Hosea, the prophet, and yet we learn of God in that me, uh, R- Hosea reflecting God as the perfect bridegroom. Who is Christ? The, br- the bridegroom, the Christ who will come for his church, the bride in Revelation, right? So through all these women, and last one but not least, with Esther, you can see God as king. Through her being Queen Esther, you see God's sovereignty and how Christ is sovereign over all of creation, and you see that in Esther's story. So ladies. Have an understanding of God in the Old Testament and as, he, as, as Christ fulfills um, all the promises. With Mary, the mother of Jesus Christ as Messiah. With Mary of Bethany, Christ was necessary. What did he say? One thing is needful and she has chosen the better thing, right? Christ is necessary. With Mary Magdalene, he's resurrected. Do you know the first people to see Jesus resurrected were women? Okay. With the sick woman, we learned of Jesus as healer. With the sinful women, we can learn of Jesus as the forgiving God. Christ as the forgiving God, right? Those without sin cast the first stone. Christ is forgiving God. With the Samaritan women, we can learn of Jesus as the satisfaction, right? The living water. So I I, mean, I, could, I could keep going on, but I'm just saying that the, Priscilla had an understanding, and I hope we as women have understanding of Christ as the fulfillment of the word and that we could Open the word accurately with, with, a, with a friend or with someone and show them the Lord in the letters, in the scriptures, right? So, ladies, I hope you are encouraged. I hope that this morning or, and this afternoon that you now, when you read that verse in Hebrews, so great a cloud of witnesses, that you now see all these women in there, right? Figuratively. But you know what I mean? Like, that they, as, as someone has said, they are people who paved the way, yeah, they've gone before us, exactly. Let's actually read that. Hebrews 12, in closing and as we pray. And we're gonna be getting in groups to finish up here to have a little last conversation and pray. Hebrews 12, this is a great place to close. Therefore, Hebrews 12, 1 and two. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, and now we know there's a lot more women in those witnesses, right? We know their names and they're in scripture. And you've got a book right here with more women in that cloud of witnesses. And you probably have women that you could put in there. I have my grandmothers, Granny Betty, who is with the Lord now, and Grand May. I have my mother, the, my lowest legacy of my grandparents, my mother, like Eunice, June. You can think of other women at the church in that cloud of witnesses. Guess what text I got during lunch? I'm going to read it to you. I got a text from my sister, and she says this. We just surprised Miss, and I won't use her name, but someone in our church, Miss So-and-so, for her 80th birthday at a tea room. She has served our three-year-olds at our church, Kindred, every single week for over a decade. There isn't a kid that's come through our ministry that hasn't received a handwritten card for their birthday. And don't get me started on this woman's prayer closet. The old saints paving the way. She didn't even know I was teaching this right now. But there's another woman Maybe you can think of someone, maybe it's a teacher who's t- who teaches women or children. Maybe it's a, an author. Maybe, maybe it's a missionary woman. Maybe it is um, a grandmother or a mother. Maybe it's a spiritual mother. Maybe you don't have a believing mother, and that's okay because you can have a spiritual mother in the church. Um, maybe it's someone who prays consistently Maybe it's a coordinator, a decorator. That's a ministry, right? God is a God of beauty. We can decorate for the glory of God. Um, Whoever it is, you could be a foster parent for the glory of God. So many ways to serve the Lord. But cloud of witnesses, let's get back. Let us lay aside every weight, every sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. So there we go right there. We have our theme verse in there pretty much. Paul said, follow me as I follow Christ. We've got these cloud of witnesses, these women that we can think of, but ultimately who are we looking to? Verse two. Jesus Christ, the author and finisher of our faith, because he is the ultimate servant, the ultimate hospitable one, the ultimate one who loves like a mother, right? The father who loves like a mother. The ultimate worker, the ultimate, um, what were some of the, uh, uh, use, servant, servant, Oh yes, the ultimate hospitable host in opening up heaven. You could go through all these points, the ultimate one with understanding. In him are all the treasures of wisdom and understanding. He's the ultimate. So let us look to Christ. Let us learn from these ladies. Let's look at these ladies. Look how they look like the Lord. When we look at the Lord, we'll start looking like the Lord because the scriptures say when we behold him, we become like, transformed into his image from one glory to another. So thank you for being here. Let's pray. And then we are going to get in our groups one final time. And I want to add a question to your questions. Discuss some women that are part of this cloud of witnesses, either from books you've read, from scripture today, yes. But even maybe you know some of the women in here. Maybe there's women that you could add to that cloud of witnesses figuratively, if you know what I mean, not literally, but figuratively that spur you on to look to Christ and who serve The Lord in a myriad of ways, in a, in in so many ways. We've just seen how many ministries women can be involved in. So let's pray, and then we'll we'll get into these questions. Dear Lord, thank you again for this time. Thank you for these women who have worked hard to listen, and that we can um, go to your word. Thank you that your word involves women. Thank you that you integrate women into your family. Thank you that women are not just um, incorporated, they're involved. Thank you that we can um, follow your pattern because of the position Christ has achieved for us, that we can follow your pattern of working hard and having a wide welcome and a warm welcome. Thank you that we can follow the pattern of Priscilla, even just now as we learned, uh, who was useful wherever she was. that she, that she understood the scriptures and that she was united to her husband and to, to the church and, and to ultimately to the Lord. And Lord, just, just through your Holy Spirit, help us to think through these implications and applications and to apply them to our lives. And ultimately, help us as we think of these women to ultimately think of Christ, who they reflect, and that we would be more like him and that we would serve the church and step up to reach out to others and to be your hands and feet to those around us. Thank you again for Priscilla, Phoebe, and all the other women we zoomed through, and just thank you for your word and how it is so rich for our um, edification. In Jesus' name, amen. So go ahead, get in your groups, and there's there's seven questions, but like I said, add number eight. If there's a woman you just, like I read you that text of that lady in our church, there's a woman you can acknowledge and verbally give name to like Paul did, do it, encourage one another. Okay, go ahead.